This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Parent Footprint Podcast listeners. We are excited to bring you another premium episode. And we're recording this just a few days away from the official start of spring. And I'm here with our awesome producer and mom of twins, Laura Rossi. Hey, Laura. Hi, how are you? Awesome, awesome, awesome. So everyone, you know the drill. We get these questions from you. Um, we get them through DM on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or people also email us podcast at drdanpeters.com and we do read them all. So let's do this. Happy Friday. Let's go. I'm ready, Dan. And happy Friday. We're recording on a Friday, which is a little bit rare for us. Usually it our is. recording days are Wednesdays. So we're kicking off the weekend with um, a premium episode recording. Another batch of great questions. I love meeting all of you online, as does Dan. We really do read every DM, every email, and we feel connected to you all. So thank you for being in our Parent Footprint podcast community. Question number one came in from email, and I thought this was a really interesting question, Dan. So I'm Mm -hmm. super excited to hear what you say. Yeah. My teen and high school daughter is reluctant to stop wearing a mask. It is making her anxious. I think, this is the mom, it's mostly about the virus, but maybe also about MACNE, otherwise known as mask acne. But I just thought uh, every kid in the world must want to tear their masks off. And now I'm going to learn from Dr. Dan that yes. that's not the case. <laughs> it's mixed. My experience been has been that it's really mixed. And so when we think about, there's a lot of kids, teenagers, adults, who are just completely over masks. Um, and there are a lot of folks that, and it depends on which region you're in and how strict often um, the guidelines have been. So everyone has had their different cultural experience, which is different than their family experience. And so there are a lot of folks that are not feeling comfortable, right? I mean, we still, we've got Omicron. Things have been pretty good in the States. Things are now starting to blow up in China. And, you know, there's stuff that's happening in Europe. And so people are like, this isn't over and everyone has their own comfort level and risk level um, with wearing or not wearing a mask. And we know out in California here in our region, just on Monday, masks are now strongly recommended instead of required in the schools. So this is really a new thing in our communities. We are, um, it's been maybe two weeks, three weeks that we don't have to wear masks in stores and restaurants. Maybe it's less than that. So I would say is you support your child. Um, 
this the the acne. Yeah, I hadn't heard it that way, but that t- makes totally sense. The M acne. So a lot of kids do ha- get have well, they have the right. regular acne, and then they do have acne around their mask part of their face. And there's a lot of kids that are really self conscious. So for example, I have uh, a client who's transgendered. And she loves wearing a mask because she is in transition and it helps um, with her feeling more comfortable with her appearance. So she's actually liked wow. that aspect of the um, of the pandemic. I love you know, that. Silver lining, I guess. Um, but all this is to say is it's totally fine. And I don't think we make a big deal out of it. And I, what I've been hearing out there um, from everywhere from medical people to politicians to administrators is this is now choice and we need to respect people's choice to both wear a mask or not wear a mask in the climate that we're in right now. What do you think? That's great. And I think that you just gave me a phrase I'm going to cling on to with this because I think regardless of the age of your kids, thinking about family, Let's just not make a big deal out of it. Everyone can make their own choice. But as parents, the bigger deal you make out of any issue, the bigger deal it becomes. And right. I like that. If if your child wants to wear a mask and you know as the parent they're not required anymore, you might just do one time of questioning that you know you don't have to wear those anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes, great, cool. And then let them sort of be and, mm-hmm. and do what they feel comfortable with. Because for me... I think I'm really in touch with issues in the parenting world because of our podcast and our work. Yeah. But I had no idea that any child of any age would be reluctant to take off the totally. mask after all of this. So Yes. Yeah. I will so let me again, say one more lessons, thing. Lessons, lessons, yeah. lessons. Let me say one more thing related to, you know, as this thing plays on, if your child is then the outlier, you know, you're gonna wanna you're going to want to be aware of that and talk to your child about that to see if they're getting some social pushback or some teasing um, just because that tends to happen, of course, when someone's an outlier in any situation. The other thing is to talk to your child about their level of anxiety. So we don't want our kids to be anxious and worried in silence and keeping it all to themselves. So it is something to check in with your child about to ask their level of worry and anxiety about the virus or just to say, hey, I'm just, you know, I noticed you're still wearing your mask and you don't have to. I'm just wondering what are the reasons that are going into it? Because it could be a very non-threatening, nonchalant, mm-hmm. and then you just kind of do the, oh, okay, right? Because when we start d- digging in and asking too many questions, particularly with our uh, older kids, our teens, we usually shut them down. So it might just be an inquiry and you kind of, you know, log it, and then you loop back to it later if necessary. That's great, Dr. Dan, advice, because, right, there probably are, just like with anything with our kiddos and us navigating new territory, that there could be a red flag. For example, your child was always removing his or her mask at home, right? Now Mm -hmm. they're wearing it all the time, and that's your safe space. Keep an eye on that, or maybe talk about it, because it's like, wait a minute, is something going on that they're Right. Embarrassed about, maybe it's the acne, maybe it's something else. So Mm -hmm. that's great. Well, the ever-changing pandemic living that we're all doing, I think, is going to continue to provide us with terrific questions that will help people (laughs) in real time, in Mm -hmm. the moment. There are no books on this. There are no, uh, you know, kind of sources for major 
expertise, except for maybe our show, I mm-hmm. will say. <laughs> so um, moving on, question number two came in from one of our favorite places, Instagram. This is a direct message. This seems to have come from two parents. I couldn't tell. And the name was just a bunch of letters and stuff. So I didn't bother trying to repeat that. But it sounds like it's a dad and a mom or a set of parents. Um, How do we talk to our children? One elementary school aged kid in fourth grade, one middle school kid or child, whatever you want to call it, in seventh grade about Ukraine. Mm -hmm. This could be a whole episode, but I think it's probably... um, another thing right that no rule book but dr dan has wisdom it's another thing and i just think of over the years it's always something that we're asked to talk to our kids about like how do we talk way back in the day how do we talk about 9-11 right how did we talk about um of of the previous SARS, the Ebola, the SARS virus. I mean, there's just the election, the, you know, there's so much, um, of the atrocities that we unfortunately face in life and have to help our kids navigate. So I guess the first rule of thumb is to think about your child's developmental age as well as their maturity or their cognitive age. So, both are really important, right? Because there is the age that your child is, but some of our kids are less mature for their age and some of our kids are more mature for their age. Some of our kids don't seek out information on world events and others of our kids do, right? And get a lot of information on their own because they can. So I would say you have to think about your individual child and then think about what message do you think it's important that they get and how to phrase it in a way that gives them information but does not elevate or escalate their anxiety or concern about safety. Um, I know that when this thing started, um, the the conflict, the war, um, the attack of Ukraine from Russia, that our college daughter called us and texted us immediately because her the the information she was getting on social media and from her community was world war three has started fill up your gas tanks so you can get out and when we were able to unwind this we're i mean literally it was like boom that is And, and very stressful yeah and if if you're you know new to being a human and haven't lived through a lot of these conflicts, of course, the stuff is really scary, even if we have. And so we had to talk her down and basically say, like, okay, sweetheart, let's look at this. Okay, first of all, these are the facts of what's going on right now, right? There is a war, there is an attack by Russia, you know, like breaking it down. Here's where they are on the map. We are not at war with them. Um, and then the kind of funny thing is, um, so where are you going to drive to? You know, like, you know, like, uh, like, what's the full gas tank for? Aww. Like, like, where are we going? Yes. You know, so, um, so that was all really helpful. And she needed to get that information to counter and for what she was getting. So I say for these, for these kids, you have elementary school and you have middle school, elementary school, you know, you might be here. There are these two countries on the other side of the world. And the big country of Russia is attacking the little country of Ukraine. And it is seen to be unjust. Um, and you know, they're, you know, you have to, again, be careful of what you're telling your kids because we want to instill social justice with our kids. We want to, um, instill 
what's right from what's wrong. And there's obviously opportunities to talk about those things. With a middle schooler, they're going to get more information. Their teachers are probably talking about it. And I would say, what are you hearing about what's going on in the Ukraine? You know, it's kind of, it's like, let's get a baseline of what they're hearing. And then you can jump off of that because you might just need to add a little bit. You might need to, you might decide based on what they're hearing is either it's incorrect or you think that they should be a little more informed given on what's going on in their development. But case by case, people, case by case. That's great advice. And it's reminding me, Dan, of what you've taught our community and all of our listeners um, at the beginning of the pandemic. The age appropriate, um, you know, sort of bit cognitively, emotionally, as well as, you know, kind of their real numeric age. And I remember very distinctly you also talking about letting your child lead the conversation. So allow them to feel safe to ask questions, but mm-hmm. offering up advice that may be frightening or confusing, you know, we don't have to sort of dip a toe in that. Um, if we're sticking to the age appropriate, letting the child lead, making them feel safe and heard. But this is another thing. I mean, when I saw the question, I also, you know, these questions are kind of really getting me this week because I thought, how is Dan going, Dr. Dan going to answer that? I mean, that is just, again, it feels like unprecedented in some ways, but Mm -hmm. as you started talking and advising us in your calming and very brilliant way, um, I realized, wait a minute, this is echoing where we were when the pandemic started because we knew how to talk to our children about it. Mm-mm. But we had to. And that's, I think, building on one of the foundations of our show and our community is that trust and that open communication. So mm-hmm. here we are with Ukraine and real yeah. human crisis. Yeah. But Tra- tragedy. why kind of the rules were, mm-hmm. we know, we we know as parents, though, what to do if we kind of think back to how we've had to deal with, you know, there's always going to, you, you wrote a blog post yeah. once, I remember years ago, um, when we first started working together, that there will be the next thing. And I remember at the mm-hmm. time, we talked about some of that, you know, there, it was nine 11, it was Ebola. It was some of those things you mentioned. And right. the next thing will be coming after Ukraine. What will that be? It but always our job is, is to just yeah. support our kids at all ages. Yeah. So, well, and linking good one. your, um, you linking it to COVID is also making me think, um, to reiterate to everyone the thing that you know that we keep talking about over and over and over again in terms of managing anxiety with covid and it applies to this and all the others is focusing on what can we control and what can we not control right like let's let's separate that stuff because all this is really anxiety provoking it's really emotionally and psychologically exhausting and um you know so many of us are watching the news and um you know, just so many emotions going on and it's such a powerless feeling, True. right? So what can we control? Well, we can control how much we're watching it and reading about it. We can control if we are contributing and donating or not. We can control um, how do we care for ourselves? How do we manage our own anxiety, mm-hmm. right? When do we turn things off? When do we distract ourselves? Um, these are all the things that are in our control and we need, to, we need to remember this for ourselves and also remind our kids and teach our kids about it as well. That's great advice. And I keep saying that's great advice because I'm, I'm sort of taking it all in. But do you think that the, that phrase is something, just talking in a minute here, yeah. for a minute about a, a broader topic of anxiety, to mm-hmm. kind of bring that to your kid if it's age appropriate, 
mm-hmm. regardless of the situation, what can we control right now? What can't we control? Absolutely. So it almost can apply to anything, but I never thought about actually having that language and dialogue right then and there in the moment with your child or teen. It's right. like, let's break this down right now. You're feeling, I can see you're feeling stressed or panicked, or you're reaching out and telling me that you are. So let's kind of take this apart and look at those things. Yeah, I think it I think it applies to every aspect of life um, related to worry or concern, big or small, right? Like, what can we do? I mean, really, it's the yeah. basis of the serenity prayer that so many know, right? Yes. Like, like, what can I control? What can I not control and have the wisdom to know the difference? That's the paraphrase right there, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, I think it's central to so many, um, to health. And... Um, what this reminds me of is Dr. Ken Ginsberg, who's been on our show um, twice, an amazing um, pediatrician, individual human being, um, a, an authority on research and raising teens. He talks about teaching our kids about the difference between a real tiger and a paper tiger, right? In terms of anxiety management, right? To me, it's, it's very similar. Like, okay, wait, time out. Is this a real scary thing that we need to run away from? <laughs> and fight? Or is this like, it's making us feel that way, but it's not again. Like, what is this like pausing of like, let's pause, let's, let's, let's put a little, um, turn to, like pause our emotions, use our thinking brain and let's assess the situation right. to problem solve as opposed to just being run by that adrenaline and that fear, which can overtake us for sure. Right. Well, I think all of us of all ages, parents, kids, grandparents, we're getting a master class in worry and anxiety with the way things have just kind of been a domino effect over these last few years. And mm-hmm. this discussion is is making me realize that if we view what's happening in the world or our own kind of personal, smaller world as the chance to practice, we're going to be able to kind of tackle the big things and the small when they kind of come down that anxiety mm-hmm. highway for us. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. I'm adding another thing to my practice personally and for uh, my there children. There you go. So um, the third question feels a little fun, um, maybe a little serious. I don't know. I read it as kind of exciting, but um, maybe there's a little bit of help I need advice. So just came in from an email. I'm a new mom. I had a baby during the pandemic and many family members have not met my son yet. Any advice? So I this feel is like real. Thinking, oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is, this nine is months so real. to kind of have the baby and then yeah. probably, I don't know the age of this baby, but I'm thinking probably born during a time that it wasn't regular days, you know, <laughs> the before right. days. Right. So well, we, yeah, no they're one called has met your COVID child babies. in your family? Yeah, like we're, yes. they're, big, like oh, they're COVID a, babies. Yeah. Really? Right. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, we have a, we have a really good friend and um, her parents live in Japan and they've had to cancel both trips in the last two years to go and visit, right? And so this Holy is, cow. this wow. is, I mean, this is, this is the case for not just international folks, but, um, so yeah, so I, we, we know the situation and, um, I don't know. I like, I know there's some sadness to it too. Um, thank goodness for, these these screens right and these video calls and um you know that i'm sure that your child has heard your family and seen your family and um i would just consider this like any introduction to something which is you tell your kids stories about 
who these people are, who they are in your life, how you can't wait for them to meet them. And you just start to, you create these narratives that lead them to the actual time when they do get to meet their family members. And I'll also say, while this feels very unnatural for most families um, to have not had their, their kids be held by other family members for maybe up to two years, this also is not all that uncommon in many parts of the country in the world where people are away from their kids, people are in the service, people are traveling, um, are, are deployed for work, um, and then they meet certain family members or grandparents later, and it all works out fine. So I guess what I want to say, like, it's, yes. you know, a lot of people for different reasons don't meet their grandparents and their cousins for, for several years and um, still become very, very close. Well, that's a bit of a kind of cool reality check because um, for you know this person that wrote in this new mom, it, there's some community there. You're not alone. I know just in our own kind of family and parenting journey, sometimes you you have to remind yourself that you're not the first or only person to ever go through something. And so, mm-hmm. as much as it might be sad, it might be anxiety provoking and sort of anticipatory. There's also People have gone down this path before. It's going to be fine. And what yeah. I see with lots of family and friends is it's it's kind of easy to pick up where you left off. People, I think, are maybe anticipating what X, Y, or Z will be like, but I don't think any of us have really forgotten how to be with family and friends and how to you know essentially pick up where we left off and yeah. start living our life and, and just uh, be in the moment. It's part of that being present message totally. that you teach us all about as totally. well. Kind of stay in the moment and enjoy it for what it is. So and definitely just I'm normalize at this. our clock. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So Dan, we have time every now and then, listeners, we have time for a fourth question. Yes. So we've been um, speedy today. Save them. Yes. <laughs> we've been quick. So we always do three questions for every bonus episode, occasionally a fourth. So um this was a question that was submitted a, a little bit ago. Um and I kept it on file thinking this could be a great one if we ever have extra time. And uh, I know that Dan's going to have a lot to say about this personally and professionally. The yeah. question is, help. I think my child is a drumroll perfectionist. Don't, don't, don't. Okay. Yes. Perfectionism. <laughs> yes. I, you know, Laura's laughing with me at me. So, you know, those of you who've listened, I. Not at, not yeah, at. Yeah, with, with, <laughs> with. yes, with, I, yes. Fair. When you that's tell fair. everyone what you say, I'm, yeah, yes, I'm going to yes. say with because yes. I'm going to use this. I, I use the same term you're about to tell everyone that yes. you use about yourself. A so. perfectionist in recovery because once a perfectionist, it is Flapping. always, <laughs> it's always in your wiring. That's just the way it is. Um, so uh, what do you special, do? Special group, special yes. club. <laughs> Very special club to be a part of. Very high yes. standards for self and others. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes, our membership is, you know, really um, it's, tough. It, it's tough a to tough membership, yes. And it takes a toll. So that's the thing is we're laughing, but perfectionism not should not be taken lightly because it does cause a lot of stress and anxiety and pain, which is why we're very passionate about talking about this topic. So the first thing that you do when you think your child is a, might be a perfectionist is you look at yourself in the mirror. And if you have a partner or spouse around, you look at them as well. You look at the family tree and this is all a nature and nurture thing, which is like, okay, 
do I have a little of this? Um, and if so, it's very important to be aware of because you're modeling unintentionally modeling a certain kind of behavior for your kids. So those of us who are more perfectionistic have, like, as I said, very high standards. And with very high standards means you want to do things, I want to say right, but it's really more than right. You want to do things really well. There's often a lot of achievement. There's often a lot of, can be very quiet and painful um, emotion. There can be a lot of procrastination, not putting stuff out there, wanting to show yourself in the best light. So your kids see all of this. And they don't put labels on it. They just look to you to be like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be. And I'll tell you a personal story. When I realized that uh, one of our kids um, was also very loaded with this perfectionism and um, this child likes to, uh, especially when she was younger, did a lot of art. Um, I had to catch myself because she would do such a great job on this art because she was so perfectionistic and it would take forever and have to be just right. And then I find myself sometimes saying like, oh, wow, that looks great. I like how you did this and I like how you did this. Say so those, those are the correct things to say. And then I'd find myself saying, oh, have you thought about putting a little more color in this corner? And I would realize like, oh, oh my no. God, that's the worst thing to say to a perfectionist. You're basically saying it could be better. Right. So the reason I'm bringing that up is I had to realize I have a tendency to do that because of how I'm wired. And that's the absolute worst thing I could say to her. But for another child, it's not a bad thing if that child is not perfectionistic and is kind of being a slacker about something and not putting much effort and like, hey, what do you think? <laughs> You'd be like, hey, it looks pretty good. You might want to do something to the other half of that page. But I'm saying it's about being mindful. Right right about what we are yes. projecting and what we are saying to our kids. Now, that's just the you part. We can't start early enough in using the verb, like trying to train the verbiage with our kids of this, what matters is who you are as a person. So what happens is perfectionists believe they're only of value based on a product or a ranking or some output. It unfortunately just gets tied together. And what we really need to support in our kids is that they're valuable and worthy regardless of what they wear, what their grades are, how fast they run, how hard they can hit or long they can hit a ball, how they can dance, how they can play uh, an instrument. That has nothing to do with their worth. And I think we need to be telling these kids over and over and over, I think it's great that you like doing that or that you are having a good outcome. Um, what's most important is the person that you are. And in a sense, I find that we almost have to, it's, 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 it's a little dicey, but we almost have, we have to be really careful not to keep rewarding the performance and the awards, and we actually almost have to minimize it and focus on who they are as people because we're trying to help them shift mm -hmm. the what is often a very unconscious focus. Now, I know I'm on a roll because I have a uh, feel I have a personal degree in uh, perfectionism. And so the other thing <laughs> yeah, I'll say is, is yeah, the other thing great, that I'll say great is stuff. how so I also tell the story. I don't know when I've learned that perfectionism was a thing, but I'm sure it was well into graduate school, even towards the end. And of course, in clinical psychology, you think I would get this information and you think I would get it fed back to me. The psychoeducation approach of 
of, hey, this is what perfectionism is. It is a fear of failure. It is an endless pursuit of perfection, which never ends in fulfillment. And to say what we have to do when we're wired this way is really be aware of it, that it affects our thinking and try to counter our thinking into being good enough, having fun and not tying our worth. Just telling them about the concept is absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. And I'm going to say one more story. The, the, um, I said grad school. So my, my, my dissertation chair, my advisor, she obviously knew this about me, but she didn't say the word. I remember every time I'd reach a ma- major milestone, uh, pass a comp, get through one level, because uh, those of you who went to graduate school, it's all about like jumping through lots and lots of hoops. And I would say, okay, here we go. We, we, I'd go to her bungalow. She's like, come on over. Let's, let's talk through this. I'm like, okay, here we go. I did it. What's next? And she'd say, Dan, what's next is you go home and you celebrate and you don't talk to me about your next achievement for one week. And I'm like, one week? Like, I'm ready to get started. And that was my, like, like go, let's go, let's go. But she was right. Like, I couldn't stop and celebrate the success. And that's what happens for our team, our perfectionistic team. She sounds like a very wise um, counselor and mentor and advisor. And I think you've debunked a bunch of stuff in everything you just shared. And I'm glad you were on a roll because breaking it down, just hearing about it as a recovering perfectionist myself, sort of clinically or diagnostically with the definition of it, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And in fact, you know, makes me realize too that it's it's kind of a futile exercise that you're never going to kind of get to that end point that you're just going to keep repeating Mm-mm. this pattern and exercise and i too I, I am not i have no degrees in medicine health or anything along those lines but i didn't really know about the term until probably college or even after college myself and mm-hmm. knowing i'm wired that way and i like to say i'm a recovering perfectionist and i do see tendencies of perfectionism in my daughter mm-hmm. um thing, but (laughs) it's just her wiring. You know, I'm wondering before our episode ends is how much should I or other parents, moms, dads, I mean, should we kind of bond over that? Because I feel like being a perfectionist is also isolating. So should we kind of acknowledge it as openly as possible and say, like, I see you doing this. And if you don't take offense to it, I'd love to give you a little advice right now because I can see it kind of from the inside and the outside. Really or, glad you brought you know, like that what, up. What's going to yeah. not fuel it? Yeah, I would love some, you know, pretend I'm your client. So, right. So, <laughs> I, like, so this I is mean, really yeah. important because fa- I like to talk about family stories. So when I have yes. was always chipping away the perfectionism with this child I am referencing in my own house, I would say, hey, I want to tell you about this thing called perfectionism and you got this from me. And let me tell you how I wish I knew about it when I was your age and what my goal is to help you understand it more so you don't have to wait as long to start becoming uh, in recovery like me. And I, find, I, I, I recommend that to parents for any issue that you can join your kid with, um, a learning issue. Uh, it doesn't matter because then they, they if, if, if you have this or went through this, then they can certainly do it because they look up to you. And it also allows it not to be the spotlight on them as much as it's like, hey, I'm still working on this and I want to help you work on this too. And let's kind of 
let's support each other and call each other out if we're finding like the perfectionist monster is uh, is working on us. So that's a great point. And the other thing I'll say is, so what else do we do? The the one piece that I didn't mention is we want to teach our kids the difference between perfectionism, that fear of failure, and striving for excellence, which is being our best and failing a lot on the way because the only way to become good at something is to make lots of mistakes through trial and error. And so to 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 pull out like who their idols are, who the people that they admire, and all of those people have had lots of failures. And then we could use those people that they look up to to say, look, look, look at this guy or look at this woman and look what she went through to becoming this person that you admire. All of these failures, these reinventions, these trial and errors, that is how we seek excellence, not fearing failure. Right. And every perfectionist or recovering perfectionist can tell you that uh, there will always be some kind of failure. And you realize even in those moments, it's not as bad as you thought it was going nope. to be, where you think, no. you, know, you go go back to like the real early days of being in school yourself, where oh, I probably failed that quiz, or I failed that test, or I did terrible. And I mean, nine times out of 10, you still got a great grade. Maybe once in a while you you got a really awful grade, but you went on and look at you now. Life is great. We're thriving. That one test or that one quiz. I think it's just realizing that that fear of failure, of course, it's hard to tamp it down, but even if the failure comes, it probably isn't, you know, the one thing that will dictate how the whole rest of your life will go is because, you know, you did something wrong on the science quiz. That's just not how it works. And I think nope. all of these iconic people and then also yeah. just sort of regular people in our families will tell you the same thing. So totally, I like hearing that it's okay to, to bond over it. And yes. so now I think we're probably at our time, Dan. And uh, I think we are. I, I loved today's questions. We got through a lot. We did. To let it all sink in. Yeah. To listen to this episode. And thanks everyone. <laughs> Thank you for, um, we again, Laura said this, but we do love hearing from you because uh, we get the pulse of you know you're in the trenches, we're in the trenches, we are all in this together. So it's really fun to share. It's fun for me to uh, to do the sitting down with Dr. Dan because I do feel like I'm sitting down with all of you, uh, which is my goal to do so. So. Thank you for listening. We thank you for being loyal listeners, knowing that you're listening to our weekly episode every Thursday. Our guests are just amazing. Laura's been knocking it out of the park, and we have so many good ones for you guys to hear that are coming up. Um, continue, please. Subscribe so you don't yeah. miss any. Yes. Subscribe, <laughs> subscribe, subscribe. subscribe. <laughs> um, tell others about it. Follow us at Parent Footprint Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters always our uh, website drdanpeters.com and um, we appreciate you subscribing we appreciate the five star uh, reviews and all the wonderful comments we get and so you know what I'm going to ask you to do people try to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day what footprint do you want to leave This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Mountain Spring High, composed and performed by Gabriel Lewis. 
artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.